following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. As we read the scriptures, time after time, the cycle repeats itself. And then, Mark, the first chapter, verse 9, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, 
You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. This cycle that I'm speaking of, God's people having a wondrous intervention by God in their lives and the life of their nation. The greatest of all of those interventions was at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. He was the Son of God. He came to die on Calvary for you and for me. It was the ultimate intervention in the cycles of destruction that mankind has been caught in all through the centuries of human history. This coming of Jesus broke the cycle. And with the coming of Jesus, not only was the cycle broken, but his powerful shed blood on Calvary, his suffering on Calvary, his being loved by the Father, and his sacrifice being received, his atonement being received in the heavenlies, forever broke the cycle of sin, that now there is absolutely no reason for a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, to be caught once more in the homogenizing cycle of sin that has destroyed countless millions of human beings. When I go to the Old Testament and I read time after time, especially books like Judges, where time after time God's people turned away. God's people turned away. God's people turned away. What happens? Well, the culture becomes so homogenized with the world that it's indistinguishable one from another. And today we face the homogenization of the church It looks like it was whipped up in a blender with the world. So now the world's music comes into the church, the world's ways, the world's marketing. The world enters into the church. And once more, God's going to have to bring an intervention. Now he brought the great intervention of the shed blood of Jesus. But now he's going to have to bring the intervention of the Holy Spirit. And I've shared with you on this broadcast the story of the Argentine revival, a story of the Tennessee revival, the Welsh revival. I've, I've brought to you revival after revival. These were interventions of God into the homogenized culture to say, separate from the world. Don't be caught in the world's ways. Don't love the things of the world, but turn instead to the holy God of heaven and be steadfast in your worship of him. So today we're going to go further in the book of Mark. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. Thank you for listening today. And 
I have to just quickly interject. Thank you for all of your letters, all of your cards, all of your wonderful gifts to this ministry and to me personally. I treasure each one. I believe this is the first month where we have not had to do an offertory call because of the kind and generous offerings sent by all of you as the Holy Spirit moved you. Thank you. It's wonderful. And now we begin with the month of January. And we begin accumulating day by day those funds necessary that at the end of the month we can pay WAVA for the airtime that we have had to purchase. Thank you. Lord, I just pray that each person who has been moved by your Spirit for the work of your wonderful gospel, they have given generously. I ask, Lord, for your blessing upon them. Lord, thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert forty days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. This is one of the strangest. How do I even begin to describe? Normally, a prophet, a great prophet would come and he would go to Jerusalem. John the Baptist did not go to Jerusalem. He was in the wilderness and the people came to the wilderness. Jesus did not go first to Jerusalem. He went into the wilderness to be baptized by John, and then he was sent, driven, led by the Holy Spirit even deeper into the wilderness, into the most desolate, inhospitable places. And there for 40 days, he cried out to God. He prayed. He rested before the Lord. As the Lord taught him and confirmed to him, the work that he was to accomplish. And Satan came with all of his power to turn Jesus away from the work of the salvation of men. Now, the book of Mark has only this strange, brief statement. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. If we go to the book of Matthew, we find a more fleshed-out description of what happened in that wilderness place. 
in chapter 4 of the book of Matthew, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. If you've ever fasted for thirty days or forty days, as I have, you come to a point in your fast where your body begins to totally devour itself and you become ravenously hungry. Jesus was literally at the point of death. He would not have survived this wilderness experience had the Father not sent a minister to him. He needed that sustenance. He needed that support. This was the most trying thing a man could go through. Jesus was strong. He was healthy. He was at his peak. But he was torn down in this wilderness experience. It says, The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. That desert is filled with stones, many of them looking like round loaves of bread. And Satan is coming and saying, Look, provide for yourself, Jesus. You're going to die out here in this wilderness, and then what can you do? You must feed yourself. You can't trust God to take care of you. It was a lie. He could trust God. But Satan always comes with this lie. If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Use your own power and create for yourself what you need in this world in order to survive. Don't wait on God. Don't trust in the mighty God of heaven. Now, I want to lay this out very carefully. The lie is that we are self-dependent. The lie is that if you must survive, you're going to have to go to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and figure out what you must do to earn the money to take care of yourself and build up your reserve build up your life so that you can do the things you really want to do. Now, when you go to this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you also get the evil with it. That's why it's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, there's another tree in the garden, and that was the tree of life. When we come to this homogenized gospel that's currently in the American church, when we come to the homogenization between the wicked of the world and those called to be saints, Satan always comes tempting and saying, look, go do what you know you have to do to earn your living. But Jesus had a very straight answer to give 
It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's not denying that we need to have food to eat, to keep our physical body alive. But he's saying, man cannot live simply by eating food. There is another part of life. And that is the word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, if you go to Deuteronomy, the 8th chapter. Deuteronomy, the 8th chapter. I want to read this to you. Please hear clearly. Deuteronomy 8. I'll begin with verse 2. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert those 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is what Jesus quoted. He was very familiar with this eighth chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. He had to be to simply answer by quoting this passage of Scripture. And so, yes, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. What will the Lord do at the very beginning of the process. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert those 40 years. First, he will lead you. Secondly, he will humble you. And he will test you in order to know what is in your heart. God does not change. God desires to humble his people. He desires that we would know what was in our hearts. We are in a great deal of trouble if we don't understand the depth of the pride and the self-sufficiency and the arrogance that is in our hearts. And God will begin to lead us in ways that humbles our hearts. He will cause us even to hunger and to thirst. He will touch our finances. He will touch our family. He will touch whatever is necessary that we would know that man does not live on this world's sufficiency. We live on the hand of the mighty God of heaven. I don't know how to I don't know how to say this clearly to you. Lord help me. I need your help, Lord. For many years as a pastor, I knew God was real, but I also knew I had to simply carry out what my responsibilities were. 
and when I got in trouble, I would ask God to come and help me. I don't do that anymore. I don't ask God to come and help me when I'm in trouble. I ask God to come and help me before the trouble comes. I ask God to take charge of my life now while I have food to eat. I ask God to come and totally take over my life, that I have laid my life down for him. I no longer have a life. I no longer have money. I no longer have clothing. I no longer have a house to live in. I no longer have a car to drive. I no longer have a wife. I no longer have children. I no longer have anything with anyone except that which I have utterly given over to the hand of Jesus. He possesses me in every respect. I have reserved nothing for myself. Because he has humbled me. He's caused me to hunger and thirst, and then he's fed me. I have discovered that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. The scriptures are true. They are not simply something we add to our own personal life. I no longer have my own personal life. My life belongs to Jesus. I moved out of my life, and Jesus has moved into my life. I am possessed by him. He is my Lord and my Savior. He is the lover of my heart. He is everything to me. Jesus is the one I worship and adore. I don't make decisions outside of outside of prayer, prayer and supplication and, and waiting upon the Lord. I wait on Jesus. I trust him. You see, I'm not interested in living with one foot in the world and one foot in heaven. Both of my feet are planted solidly in heaven. The rest of me will go there. But right now I am grounded totally in Jesus in the heavenly realm. So, it says, Know then in your heart, this is verse 5, Deuteronomy, the 8th chapter, verse 5, Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord God disciplines you. Also look at Hebrews, the 12th chapter, verses 5 through 11. It will say the same thing. That the Lord God of heaven looks upon you and says, What kind of discipline do I need to bring upon this person's life? so that they will stop trusting in their own strength and in their own power and will turn completely to me and allow me to enter into them and have the fullness of their life. You see, the whole purpose of life is to be redeemed from the devil's hand 
and be brought into the kingdom of God. And I'm going to share with you, the book of Mark is very quick at the beginning, wants to get the initial story out of the way, because he wants to begin to talk about the coming of the kingdom of God and what the kingdom of God looks like. But I today know that we need Matthew's references that we could prepare our hearts to enter into the kingdom of God because John the Baptist isn't here anymore. And we need to hear preaching and teaching that rebukes our insanity of loving this world and the things of this world and feasting on the things of this world. They leave us empty. They leave us depressed. They leave us discouraged. We need the Word of God. We live by the Word of the living God of heaven. And so the command is, observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in His ways and revering Him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water. He was speaking about the children of Israel entering into Cana. I'm speaking about the Lord God of heaven bringing us into the heavenly realm, into the new Jerusalem, into that place of wonder and delight and joy. Now listen. When you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine, large homes, and your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He has led you through the vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land, with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of the rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert because your fathers had never known it, to humble you and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hand have produced this wealth for me, but remember, the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirm His covenant, which He swore to your forefathers as it is today. Now if you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. The same is true in America. America is on the verge of being utterly destroyed by the judgments of God because we have turned aside from the living God of heaven. He is scorned in our Congress. He is scorned in our Senate. He is scorned on every hand in the news media. And the people of America are engaging in every kind of wicked deed, lying, stealing, cheating. 
pornography, homosexuality, lesbianism. Every kind of wickedness is now popular in America. And those who are called Christians seem to put up with it well enough. Abortions, the most murderous and wicked thing a man or a woman can do. Utterly without any merit before a holy God, he sees it as murder. And yet this is the land of freedom, America, that God gave us. America will be destroyed if we do not turn back. So the devil came to tempt. And he comes raging wild at you. And he says, provide for yourself. You cannot trust God to provide for you. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you, things that pagans run after. What's he saying? He's saying very clearly to you today. Use your time and your energy to seek after God, the holy God of heaven, not Allah, the holy God, the creator God of heaven and earth. Seek after him with all of your heart. Seek his kingdom. Literally, seek to come under his divine authority. Now, as long as you are on your own, then you don't live by the word of God. As long as you're out there hustling on your own, you're on your own with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the day will come when God will issue a decree against a nation, a people, or an individual and say, you have filled your cup with iniquity and now I call you to come to judgment. How full is your cup today of iniquity? Is your cup almost full? Have you sinned away God's grace by being just like the world? Loving the things of the world? Pursuing the things of the world? Lusting after the things of the world? Treating people with contempt? Treating the poor with contempt? Not reaching out in love and mercy and compassion to lift a brother or a sister out of the darkness. How full is your cup of iniquity? When it's full, your life is over. And God's judgment will come upon you. Jesus answered, it is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil, I don't know how he did this. I don't know how he could do this. But the word says the devil took him to the holy city, to Jerusalem. 
and there he had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. In other words, prove yourself, Jesus. You think you're going to be the Messiah? Well, here's a chance. Make a public statement. Make a public demonstration. People were looking up and they were seeing this man standing up there. Go ahead and jump, Jesus. The angels will catch you. And you will have a glorious time as people recognize who you are. Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. Jesus answered, It is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now I want to take you to Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter. Jesus must have loved Deuteronomy 6, 7, 8, because he quotes directly from them. So in Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, verse 16, Do not test the Lord your God as you did at Massa. Do not test the Lord your God. Let me read a portion of this so that you will catch the full import of what he is saying. Because please hear me. These temptations that Jesus had to face in the wilderness in his weakened condition after 40 days of fasting, in that desperate, desperate desert. These are the same temptations he's going to bring to you. He's going to say, you can't trust God, so provide for yourself. Go to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and get everything you need. And then go live your life. You can add Jesus to an already full life. You don't need to give your life up, he says. See, Satan doesn't mind if you sit in church week after week while you love the world. He doesn't mind. What he doesn't want you to do is live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He doesn't want you to submit to the humbling of God. This second temptation, Jesus answered by saying, Do not test the Lord your God. But I want to read the context. Chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you're walking along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. In other words, keep the word of God before you. There was a time in the Pentecostal movement 
when you would never see a Pentecostal go to work without carrying his Bible in his hand with him, not in a briefcase. He wanted that Bible where people could see that it was a Bible. There was a time when a Christian would not go anywhere in the world without his sword, the Bible. Today, they barely, most barely, take a Bible to church. Most show up in church without a Bible. Verse 10, this is Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, verse 10. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you, a land with large flowing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord, your God, and serve him only. Now he begins to say, Don't test the Lord. Don't test the Lord. I want to take you, keep your finger there if you're following me in the scriptures. I want to take you now to Exodus. Exodus, the 17th chapter. I want you to see what actually happened. Verse 17, chapter 17, verse 1, the whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Walk on ahead of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile. Go, I will stand there before you by the rock of Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massa, meaning testing, and Meribah, meaning quarreling, because the Israelites quarreled, and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Now, the children of Israel had been brought out of Egypt with the mighty hand of God. They had come to the Red Sea. It had parted before them, and they had walked through on dry ground. But now the 
great sea closed behind them, and they are locked into the wilderness, and the only way out is to walk out to Cana land. They cannot return to Egypt because the waters have closed behind them. There is no food, not sufficient at all to carry them, but perhaps for a day, maybe two days, maybe a little longer. And then they run out of everything. And God, as they hunger and thirst, graciously supplies them with manna, the bread of heaven, we're told, the bread of angels, a perfectly balanced nutritional diet. Now they also had their livestock, and they would offer the offerings and sacrifices to God, and they would have the beef to eat, or they would have the mutton to eat, or they would have the goat meat to eat. But in addition, they had all of the manna. Now the question is, they can see the cloud by day and the fire by night, but they ask the question, is the Lord among us or not? And they're angry because they're thirsty and their livestock is bleeding for water. And what are they to do? The answer, of course, is they are to pray and they are to trust God. They are to trust God to open the way before them. But God must be more important to them. God must be more precious to them than their water or their food or their provision. The Lord God of heaven wants them to trust him. He's brought them out there to show them the distrust, the bitterness, the anger, the arrogance that's in their heart. Now, today we have many ways to avoid much of the humiliation of not having an answer. Until finally, he brings us into a financial situation or he brings us into a health situation, or he brings us into a social crisis where we're rejected and turned aside by those we love in order to humble our hearts, to show us what is really going on in the inner part of our soul, in the inner part of our being. We get little hints of this when Someone in our family says something or does something that we don't like, and immediately all manner of accusations begin to flow up out of our hearts. And when we don't have what we want, we begin to grumble. And what is grumbling? It is bringing suit against God. It is bringing an accusation against the God of heaven. It is accusing him to not be treating us as we desire to be treated. 
It is not humility. It is not trusting. It is not waiting on God for deliverance. It is not rejoicing in the fact that he loves us and that we love him and we walk with him day by day. No, it's it's bitterness. It's anger. It's bringing suit against God and saying, you are wrong, God. You should be helping me here. You should be doing this for me. And we get angry at God because he hasn't healed our sickness or he hasn't provided the finances or he hasn't healed our job or he hasn't restored to us what what has been stolen away by the devil. And out of that bitterness and that anger, we begin to test God and say, are you among us or not? Can I trust you or not? And suddenly it reveals the heart of the devil has taken possession of us. Oh, we may be very Christian yet. We may still say, oh, I'm a Christian and I love Jesus. But the bitterness and the anger and the hostility that flows out toward that person who dares do what we don't want them to do, it demonstrates the pride of our hearts. It demonstrates our arrogance as we test God. And finally we say, well, If he's not going to take care of me, then I'll just go take care of myself. Thank you very much. And so we have ways of taking care of ourselves. Credit cards, all manner of savings, things we've put by. Or we don't. And we just begin to be crashed. And in our bitterness and in our anger... We blame God and we blame other people and we blame everybody. We had a wonderful service on Sunday. One of the precious brothers began to speak about his own journey and how he had learned that he must take responsibility for his own life, that he must recognize that his situation has come about because of his own choices his own decisions, his own actions. And now we can cry out to God and he will lead us step by step out of the destruction of our lives. Do you need Jesus today to begin to speak to you to lead you out of the destruction of your life? I do. I do. And I'm trusting him to restore to me everything the devil has stolen. I went to the Harvest Life Church this past week to a revival service where Pastor Deborah Dukes was speaking. This Harvest Life Church, I have to tell you, it's one of the friendliest churches I've ever seen. I have never been so warmly welcomed in any church in my life. But I listened as Deborah Dukes, Pastor Dukes, laid out the will of God regarding restoration. It was a powerful message. Harvest Life Church is found in Woodbridge, Virginia. If you want to experience a wonderful church, you just want to visit somewhere, you're looking for a large church to belong to, that's the place to go.
the reason I say that is because this restoration issue is huge. It it will require us to believe that God wants to restore us. It will require us to be patient with the process as God restores us. And it will require that we rejoice and celebrate even before we see his hand delivering us. That was basically her message. So we have in Matthew and and then in Exodus this questioning. And as a direct result of their disobedience and their arrogance, it says in verse 8, this is Exodus 17, verse 8, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. And they had to go out and fight off the Amalekites. They had to fight off the Amalekites. The Amalekites will almost always come into your life when you begin testing God. When you begin saying, is God here or not? Can I trust him or not? Shall I just go do what I have to do? Shall I make a grand entry? Shall I test God and just cast myself out there and trust that, okay, God will take care of me or I'll die, but I'm going to do something now. And then the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, all this I will give you if you will bow down and worship. In other words, if you will recognize my worth and my status and my power as the one in charge of the earth, just bow down and worship me. At this, Jesus is so incensed. He's put up with Satan's nonsense long enough. He now says, away from me, Satan. In other words, leave now. I'm done with you. Get out of here. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the devil left him. The devil will leave us when we finally get fed up with his antics and his temptations and take a stand and say, I will serve the living God of heaven and him alone will I serve. How do you stand today with Jesus? Are you still playing footsie with the devil? Are you still playing with the worldliness, with the television, with the sports, with the fornication, with the drugs, with pot? Are you still playing with things of darkness, unclean things, fornication, adultery? Are you still playing with anger and bitterness and pride? Acting very religious but filled with pride. Will you humble your heart today? Will you seek after Jesus with all your heart? 
We're almost out of time for this broadcast. I want to just share very quickly with you. A challenge was issued for someone who has listened to this broadcast for a long time. A challenge was issued. He gave $3,000 and said, It's a challenge. If someone will match this, I will give the 3000 in its full amount. Last Thursday evening, I got a text from a dear brother out of state who said, Pastor, I'll send that matching 3000 He wants that money to go toward the FM fund. I'm wondering if there are any others out there who would like to match this $3,000 fund. If so, you can call 877-534-0780 and make your pledge, or you can simply write to me, Pastor Ray Greenley, at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. We're starting now on the January bill for WAVA. It's a big one this time. We have 23 days of broadcast. Would you help? Let's get this bill covered so that I don't ever have to do another offertory. I trust Jesus to move in your heart as you help with the work of the gospel. Thank you for listening today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. There are sermons there. There, This broadcast will be up, and you can give online. God bless you, my brother and my sister. I love you. Trust Jesus. Unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory.